supercars are developing the Gen 3 car, which they hope will take them into the next 10 years of supercar racing. They're looking to change many of the components for a different range of reasons. Some to update technology, some of them to suit new silhouettes, and all are hoping that it will reduce the costs of racing. But in business today, we always hear the real cost is in labour. So why hasn't anyone looked at what you can do with the technology currently available to reduce the number of people required to work on a race car, particularly when you're at the racetrack? Australian author Matthew Riley, in his book Hovercar Racer, considered what it might be like for the engineer and driver in the future. Here is an extract. The leaders completed lap 11 and flocked into the pits, Jason among them. He swung into his bay and the tarantula descended on the Argonaut from above, its arms bristling with magneto drives and coolant hoses. Jason gulped down some energy drink, breathed hard. Their pit stops had been good in this race. Their mag drives and computer systems seemed okay. So today on Inside Supercars, we asked the question, what would robotic pit stops look like? We speak to a driver, engineer and technical director to find out their perspectives on automation and the pit stop. Stephen Richards is our driver. But I think the evolution of a pit stop is all about the ability to save time. And it's a, it's a lot easier to do with a, a mechanical process during a pit stop than it is on a track when all of the cars are fairly well equal. You know, on the track you're talking about gains or losses of between half one tenth of a second between competitors. Jeremy Moore is our engineer. In terms of engineering, in terms of um, safety, of course the world is going more and more safety conscious and uh, we, can, we can see more automation there. Um, maybe not supercars, but in particular I know in Formula One or even, even DTM, I believe I've seen some, some clips of possible automated pit stops. It's certainly on the radar. And our technical man is... Okay, my name is Mikey Redler and I'm the Sporting and Technical Director of the International Racing Series at DTM. So today on Inside Supercars, we look at robotic pit stops and automation. For those nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day, there's pickup. Or at Friday Work Drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub, there's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car and the other driver follows. Download the Pickup app today. That's PKUP and wake up worry-free. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard. Hi everyone, welcome to Inside Supercars. Shane Van Gisbergen from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team here. From the racetracks across Australia and here's Inside Supercars. Jeremy Moore is the Technical Director at Triple Eight Race Engineering. He graduated with honours from the University of Queensland as a mechanical engineer before joining Larkham Motorsport, then on to Briggs Motorsport, before he worked then for Porsche on their LMP1 hybrid world endurance cars, before moving to the Technical Project Leader 
of the 2019 RSR car before returning to 888 Race Engineering. He understands very well that the technology is already here to automate pit stops. So I'll let JJ explain what would you have to do to design a pit stop robot? A machine to, to fit tyres is not, not that hard to conceptualise. Um, all it's got to pick out is where the current wheel is once the car has stopped and then how to remove that and replace, replace it with a, a new wheel and tyre. So these are all in robot terms, very simple operations. It just comes down to yeah, the cost of the, of the sequence um, and obviously whatever se uh, series have different cost um, demands. Some series are uh, a, bit, a bit more open or, um, or cost is such a critical value compared to local series. Um, and also, um, yeah, versus safety, how much is the value on, on uh, the safety of the people. And what would it be like refueling the car? Also have the, the energy replacement. I don't say fuel because obviously there's lots of different fuel sources, in particular battery on the radar for, for racing in the future. So uh, how you swap out or, or recharge or refill the energy source uh, is, is also somewhere where a robot or a mechanism could do safely. Um, swapping a battery, hot swapping, was on the radar for the WEC or, or Le Mans um, when, when I was over there um, because to try and do an endurance race or a one-hour racing, you need a, quite a heavy battery of the order of 500-plus um, kilos, so not in the realms of a, of a, of a person to, to carry. So there was a concept of um, hot swapping this cassette in the bottom of the car so that could be definitely a, um, a process where um, a machine would need to be there to do it. Um, yeah, likewise, I think I've seen a similar thing for the DTM where they uh, propose something in, a, in an animation. Um, so, yeah, the fuel side of things, it's definitely a safety topic if you're trying to, to move something super heavy like that or even if you are trying to inductively charge an electric battery with, uh, yeah, that magnetic field um, going through the... The, the atmosphere around the car, you don't really want to have uh, people nearby, so other than the driver who would have to be like, in a shielded sort of cell. So I think there's lots of, lots of reasons in the future where automation um, in a pit stop makes sense um, for safety aspect of things. There's always a reason behind making any change in motorsport. So for Jeremy Moore, what would be the drivers to automate a pit stop? So it's really coming down to, to those aspects, uh, getting it cheap enough versus how much you're saving without the pit crew, getting the, the safety benefit, how much value that's, that's uh, put weight on, um, and also is it required as a spectacle still? Um, do, we, do we still want the crew there for the show? Um, I'd say, yeah, probably um, in some series, less and less and less. It's really just about the driver on the track. Michael Russell from the DTM has worked on this exact challenge as part of the DTM electric program. They have not only developed an idea for robotic pit stops, but they have even designed and animated what the next generation of cars and pit stops can look like. I should note that we have a link to the video on our website. The vision was and still is to have the most performant electric race class of the world, which uh, we are currently working on it, which, uh, a megawatt of uh, propulsion 
energy, which is uh, equals to more than a thousand horsepower, obviously, four wheel drive, very beasty uh, car, only 1600 kilos, 600 there off the battery. So that's all happening. But in an ideal engineering head, this car approaches the pit lane, gets already charged via an automatic charging line whilst he approaches, uh, the car approaches its pit stand. At the pit stand, uh, four robots are waiting to do the tire change. Another robot would uh, load the battery. And if all goes according to plan, the car leaves, obviously, in autonomous mode until he exits the pit lane. This is the romantic vision. So if you're not familiar with the DTM and where they are heading in motorsports future, Michael Russell explains. Well, let's, uh, let's say the future of DTM always uh, will have an element of combustion uh, engines with it. Uh, we, are, we are looking into synthetic fuels to uh, save the planet, obviously. Uh, but one aspect of the future is uh, also to go electric and basically tick the boxes of the, the mega trends of automotive uh, developments in the future, being uh, battery electric vehicles, uh, being supercharging elements and also involving autonomous driving, uh, but with uh, with as we experience it uh, on the road as well with the driver in the car. So these elements brought us to sketch out the DTM electric. Now over the years, building a car, particularly a supercar, which started from the touring car days of Australian motorsport, has been a very manual labour of love. So the level of automation in construction for supercars has not been particularly high, as Jeremy Moore explains. Definitely not a whole lot at the moment, but we're um, trying to remedy that in the in the very near future with our uh, robotic welding facility to to make the new generation cars as uh, as cheaply as efficiently as 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 uh, as strong and re- repeatedly as possible. While in supercars, motorsport manufacturing has not been automated to a great extent. There is still a lot of automation used to produce components for many years, CNC machines, for example, and for an operator like the cart manufacturer Drew Price. He's been welding his chassis with robotic welders for years. But what drove the decision for Triple Eight to make the move into a robotic welding machine? It's definitely not new technology. And it's really just uh, getting it down so your the, um, the the scale is correct for the investment. So obviously supercars, we're not making hundreds of them a year. Um, the new generation cars, obviously we've got to replace the whole field, um, but it's not just us. There's other manufacturers out there. So it's it's more of a long term investment um, and not not really going to break even just with that um, with those parts. So it's more of subsidizing that with making other things and and it and the technology is going to get getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper in the future so um, yeah absolutely definitely not on the forefront of manufacture with the robotic welding uh, gen 3 car but uh, i think it's just going to get more and more common and it just makes sense uh, you have a lot more uh, uh, control over over everything with a robot it's not uh, it's not going to have any a bad mood when it rolls up in the morning and uh, and does it a bad job it's always going to be uh doing the same thing that you're programming it to over and over and over again so 
which is exactly what you want on a, a race car where uh, you want the same for everyone and not ha- not having a driver have question marks over if his car is exactly the same as the guys winning the race next door. So for JJ, here's how he explains what he thinks a robotic pit stop could operate like. Yeah, I think, well, just off the top of my head, I'd, I'd probably say in terms of logistics, you'd, you'd, you might have to have small sub-assemblies which you would um, assemble or or at least have some form of coupling. For, so you'd have maybe even one on each corner um, that does the actual wheel changing and picking up and swapping the other tyre. Um, and then, yeah, the refuelling coupling. Uh, keep in mind, supercars is not, we hardly we only do a few races uh, these days with, with uh, refuelling. So, um, yeah, you could even have it quite simpler just doing the doing the tyres itself. So you'd need something come in. You'd need, obviously, the car come up in the air. So that could be a simple um, single arm that uh, detects where the, the actual air spike is, inserts the air spike into that, um, into that yeah, in, into the car, lifts the car up. That's pretty straightforward operation. And then um, a robot in each corner where it'll uh, undo the wheel and then pick up the undo the nut, pick up the wheel, drop it over to one side, pick up another one, place it, get the wheel gun, and and um, do up the nut again. And robots can have multiple arms or hands, so that could even be the same the same arm, just with two different um, couplings: one to grab and one to do the wheel socket itself, wheel gun. Um, and now with the next generation cars, it's completely in the realms of possibility that the wheel nuts can be done. Um, undone and redone with an electric motor um, so that's very straightforward in terms of how you package that on the end of an arm of a robot so that that's all very straightforward from my view um, nothing really complex there and it's just uh, getting the right just a, an engineering exercise getting the right uh, sized robot arms to be able to lift the right weights and and specking everything out as, as required for an engineer who's always looking for a challenge Moore thinks that designing the system would be one of the more interesting engineering challenges you could put on someone's plate. Yeah, exactly. That would be that would be pretty interesting for sure. Um, trying to get it uh, as as fast as possible. It'd be a good actual engineering challenge to try to do the the fastest pit stop um, without having humans involved. You can you can make things move pretty fast without uh, any safety issues. So. Um, yeah, that would that would be interesting. And so then the question is, could you have the hybrid model of automation and human interaction? You could, but then for sure you need to worry about uh, any um, the robot doing not what it's supposed to, or going out of its bounds of, of normal operation and injuring a person. So that's, I think you would ha- you would compromise uh, quite a lot to have a human around the car whilst a robot is operating all these normal manufacturing facilities with robots there's always exclusion zones and and um, safety zones detected by camera or um, or um, infrared beams to, to know that no one's in there and can be hurt so I think you wouldn't go you'd either go the whole hog or not I'd say you'd have all, all automized or or stick with what we've got <laughs> Now, there's no doubt that the cost of motor racing is high, particularly when you compare it to the ball sports, the cost of equipment, then the car itself are extremely high barriers for anyone to enter. 
and over the COVID period, the number of staff that would go to a supercar race was cut. And that number, whilst it will start to increase at the next round in Tasmania, well, there's an advantage in automation on some levels if the labour costs can be reduced. Teams operating now say that they're around 40% of their operating budget. Some say that on a profit and loss sheet, it's up around the 58%. Less and less crew required, less and less employees required. Um, that's a big saving, not having to employ a whole pit crew. Um, it would be a substantial saving as well. So that's offsetting the, the cost of a, a particular um, sort of robotic pit stop um, cell, I'd say. I mean, you, you, of course, you could have um, one servicing a couple of cars in the team um, or yeah, one per one per car. There's lots of ways to, to, um, to, to get some savings there. But I don't see it impossible. And I think it's probably more and more likely on the future where we're wanting to save costs with, with less less people, but, but, but health and, and safety not uh, not being in harm's way. It's only the driver out there who's in the in his nice um, strong cell, um, not not uh, likely to get hurt in, in these in these sequences, and uh, and be able to change what's required to be changed with the fuel and the and the and the tyres and go. WHS has had an influence on pit stops over the course of supercar racing. In 2011, reports from teams that pit crew members had sustained back injuries saw a change in the rulebook that no less than two crew members must assist in the changing of each wheel during a pit stop. Previously, the role could be done by one person, much like a NASCAR tyre change. So for someone on the world stage like Michael Russell, does he see WHS becoming a driver to automate pit stops? I think the way how we write the regulations, uh, there's a lot of safety concerns already considered. Uh, we work obviously uh, with a lot of other partner race classes to just make sure we don't have uh, we don't have. Uh, any safety issues in there. Would this be regulated by a health organization? I don't believe that. We have governing bodies. We are also working with the FIA. We are a governing body ourselves. So basically, we're looking back at the history of, of, of years and years of becoming better. And for, for example, we just changed our uh, pit stop regulations from last year to this year that uh, the, the the wheels on the on the rear axis have to be exchanged first before they move forward to the front axis, just to make sure that if a driver uh, presses the pedal too quick uh, and the wheels start turning, that no mechanic gets hurt. So, I think it's a constant improvement of making sure it's a trade-off between show and and functionality, but safety always comes first, and this is how we write the rules. You may remember in 2020, we spoke to Tom Howard, who's now with Autosport, but back then was working on a British Touring Car Championship team. And he explained that the British Touring Car teams only operated with a fraction of the staff that it takes to run a supercar team. Well, there's only five or six full-time employees in the 
team I'm working for, motivates, and that would be very similar throughout the paddock. But on a weekend, you have a lot of uh, help and, and what they call weekend warriors, if you like. Um, so, for example, the three-car team, we were running at around about 30 to 40 people on a race weekend. But again, only five or six of those full time. So it's um, it's an interesting way to go about it. But I have to say, uh, certainly this year, it, it works. Like it's a, it's a model that works, um, and it means that the teams are able to function. And um, and for example, the team I work for, Motorbase, they they chose obviously prior to knowing what was happening with COVID, they chose to develop a whole new, brand new car over the winter. Uh, which is a sizable amount of money to put into that, uh, which meant uh, they designed the car in-house and constructed it with a few uh, people to help out from other companies. Um, so a big undertaking. Um, but they, they pulled it off and they were rewarded with, you know, five wins this year, which they last year they only had a couple. So the car's a lot better. But yeah, to, there's definitely, you can design and build a car, uh, a brand new car, the BTCC with a very limited amount of people um, full time and to be successful uh, so I guess that's one of the championships pros is that you don't need to outlay an awful lot of money like you would with say when the Mustang came in that was a huge project in supercars a lot of people were working on that um, yes yeah, different here a lot different here you don't need that level amount of people to, to bring a car to life that show was number 315, Tom Howard, BTCC, and you can find that at sportradio.com.au. So Matthew Riley, he foresaw in his novel Hover Car Racer that there could be problems with the reliability of both the driver and the equipment in an automated pit stop. Another time, while his pit machine replaced his six undercar magneto drives, Jason, in his eagerness to get away quickly, let the Argonaut creep forward over the white line painted on the ground, marking the forward edge of his pit bay area. There came a shrill electronic scream. The pit machine immediately withdrew into the ceiling, refusing to work on the car. Mr Chaser, Syracuse called. Pit bay violation. You just earned yourself a 15-second penalty for illegally creeping out of your pit bay during a stop. 15 seconds in a hover car race is an eternity. Again, you lose. Stephen Richards is as sceptical of the technology as is Matthew Riley. It might be automated, but, but can it do it safely? Does it have the amount of sensors and things to stop things from going. The, the, the pit stop isn't perfect. The, the car stops short. He feels it is the chance of a human mistake that makes the pit stops more interesting to the fans. What we need in our sport is for it to be really interesting is to have that element of humanisation where you know, it's still down to a, to a physical person that makes or breaks, whether it's a driver, whether it's a mechanic, the engineer, whatever the case may be. Automating everything will take, take away the interest. There are many factors in a supercar and other racing series that have to be considered. But if the primary driver to implement automated pit stops was purely safety, then Stephen Richards has another solution 
to making pit stops safer. Um, the, the only way to do it safer, if we're talking about safety, is to put a, put a mandated minimum stop time. There is no race to do the pit stop, where you, you know that you've got plenty of time to service the vehicle, to change the tyres, to refuel the car, um, to even lift the bonnet up and check, over, check under the bonnet. I mean, the, the easiest way to make it safer is just mandate a, mandate a minimum stop time. Would an automated pit stop reduce the number of staff at the racetrack? Here's Jeremy Moore. Well, that's a tough one. That's very sensitive to sporting regulations or technical what can you change on the car because it's not the crew aren't just to do the pit stop. The crew are also there to analyse the data, to repair anything that's broken um, from a crash or, of course, changing the setup on the car to make it faster for the driver. So if you... Uh, eliminate any changes on the car you, you can eliminate a lot of the, the tinkering in the background but you still need the guys to fix it if it's broken whether okay getting it even simpler if it was just a, a one make series then you could have a crew of people who are, aren't team related they're just there to repair the cars and send them back out again so the actual team themselves could be just down to the driver and uh, and maybe the race engineer for strategy um, so quite quite far-fetched from what we what we've got now what we what we see now but um it's certainly possible i i wouldn't like to see that i'd like to i like to see the team side of things and and be able to tinker with the setups but that's absolutely possible if uh if costs had to be driven even further down matthew riley hover car racer and suddenly the tarantula froze in mid-action no! Jason yelled. Sally McDuff dived to the tarantula's console, started tapping keys. The system's crashed again. Damn! She yelled. I have to reboot. She typed fast on the computer. Jason snapped round to see Krishna, then Washington, and then Xavier zoom out of the pits, one after the other, rejoining the race. Sally, come on! Almost there! She called back. Almost there! God damn it! The seconds ticked by, every one of them sinking the nails deeper into Jason's coffin. 10 seconds, 15, 20. Got it! Sally called. The tarantula completed its work, then swooped up into the ceiling, and Sally yelled, Go, go, go! And Jason floored it, and the Argonaut shoomed back out onto the course. But Michael Russell at the DTM believes that the reliability of the automated pit stop would become counterproductive to the spectacle of racing and one of the reasons that you won't see motor racing series like the DTM take it on in the near future. A robot in his current stage also allows repeatability, so high accuracy and repeatability. Per se, a robot is a dumb thing. You know, it does not. If, if the car is positioned uh, two inch out of uh, the pit stand, the robot would not find it anymore. There's camera systems on the robots that could be trained, but also here you would not find, in my experience, you would not find one robot company that would say, "Okay, no worries. Uh, if my robot decides to win the championship in the last pit stop because it decides to go to sleep or doesn't find the wheel nut." It's, it's not something uh, people look forward to. So basically, 
whilst it's technically a nice challenge and totally feasible, the, the element of having a good race where things can happen unpredictable is the, the current state of where we are. So while there's no technical reason a robotic pit stop could not occur in any of the top levels of world motorsport, the cost to develop and transport the pit stop equipment, along with the entertainment and competition factors, would see it unlikely to have them replacing the people in the sport anytime soon. Yeah, apologies for the Romans blow, but, you know, as a technical guy, you have to stick to reality. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Now, while looking into this story about robotic pit stops, it naturally followed that if we don't need a pit crew, do we need a driver in the car? There's a, um, a series um, where it's purely a robotic driver. So that's a lot more of a complex automation than, than physically taking a wheel off and putting it on and, and lifting a car up and down in the air. On our next show, we look at what the DTM series found when they built a DTM electric car that could be driven from anywhere in the world. To allow them to uh, go to their full strength, being fully autonomous, it only works if you have a controlled environment. So a racetrack would allow that because you don't have the classic bicycle or the pedestrian that crosses the way. You shouldn't, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we, we see this. That's on the next show for Inside Supercars. I hope you enjoyed today's show. My thanks to our guests, Jeremy Moore, Michael Russell, and Stephen Richards. And don't forget to like the show, send a comment, or even send some ideas on things you'd like us to investigate further. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.